in this episode, I have an interview with the creator and writer of the ghost story based game, Casting the Runes. And I talk about the changing roles of characters in the M Space campaign. Welcome to the Mithras Matters podcast, season one, episode 26, Casting Runes and Contributing Roles. And welcome back to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I'm your host, Inwills, and welcome to July. Now, if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, then we are welcoming in summer. While if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, wrap up warm. Winter is on its way. I always have to remember that the listeners for this podcast are spread across the globe, so I should be more diverse in my introductions, I think. Summer usually means I have some time off work coming up, a summer vacation. When I have some vacation time coming up, I always want to try and get organised and make valuable use of it. As the time approaches, I start to put items on the let's do that when I'm not at work list. As you can imagine, it is slowly growing and I know that when the time actually comes round, I'll probably end up doing none of it. It's a topic I cover in the next episode of my other podcast, The Inwills Interval. Hashtag self-promotion, links in the show notes. Added to this ever-growing list of tasks are a range of new rules and settings to hopefully create for and play. There are the Mithras combat rules that featured in episode 18 of this podcast. I want to explore Monster Island and its companion, which featured in episode 12 and 20. And of course, after the Vampire Wars, still to be featured. Is anyone out there actually running a campaign for this supplement? You might have heard from the pre-roll, that's the bit you hear before the episode begins. See, I can use all the technical podcast jargon now. That Mythic Babylon is now available. If you want to have a listen to the content for that supplement, then it featured in episode four of this podcast. As my vacation list expands, I thought it would be only fair for me to contribute to yours. So now you have a list of previous episodes to revisit and maybe we will be able to add Destin to that game list soon. Come on, design mechanism. I feel the call of Lycra and Capes. Wait, that sounded wrong. I'm looking forward to playing a superhero or in the campaign I am planning a supervillain. Ha 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 ha. And talking about campaigns... It's time for the campaign updates. Seamless transition between segments.
You might be aware that we are swapping between rule sets at the moment to bring more variation to our gaming. We are organizing it that we play one adventure that would be a series of four to five sessions in the fantasy setting of Mithras and then swapping to the sci-fi setting using M-Space rules for that adventure. One aspect of the new M-Space game is that I am encouraging the players to co-create the setting with me. Although I have my own thoughts about the campaign and setting, I want the players to feel that they can contribute to it. I guess I have the overview and balance of the campaign in mind as we accommodate the way the players want to explore aspects of the game with their characters. I'm really pleased that I encourage the players to take different roles to their fancy characters in M-Space. For example, Mr. Pickles, who plays a law enforcer called Newman, we use surnames in the campaign to add that certain sci-fi feeling, really enjoyed bashing thugs in the recent barroom brawl. A huge change from him standing at the back, healing and supporting the party as Bartleby the Theist. And in the same barroom brawl, Minsk, the pilot and leader played by Medivac the Healing Hoover, who probably has the longest nickname in the world, got knocked out with three punches, two to the head and one to the gut. While his fantasy character demonstrates his combat prowess on a regular basis. Hammond, played by Captain Kangaroo, is a character and player who is constantly contributing new ideas to the campaign, at first, this could be seen as quite challenging, but as I mentioned before, I want the, to, for the players to feel that they can co-create the campaign alongside me. Hammond is definitely turning out to be a tinkerer, with Captain Kangaroo suggesting new pieces of equipment that he wants to design, create and use. I'm currently creating a system for this that I will probably share in a future campaign update, but if you want a sneaky preview when I first publish it, then go along to the Voltaris 45.7 campaign website. The links are in the show notes. Oh, and before we leave the campaign updates, Longshank's EPG is unable to play for a couple of months due to real life commitments. So I have actually started to play a medical robot called Purdy. What an interesting experience this is. She has her own unique personality and it's something that I will definitely feature in a future podcast segment or on a Gibbering GM YouTube video. This idea of the GM playing an NPC along with the players. Anyway, enough of this campaign space talk. Let's get on with this episode's interview. A while back, I was really lucky to see an email about the publication of the Casting the Runes games on Kickstarter. I've always been keen to support new ideas, so I quickly signed up to support it. It was probably the first Kickstarter campaign I'd supported, and to be honest with you, I was not disappointed. Once the targets were reached and the game published, I found myself being drawn into the ghost stories of, hang on, 
why don't I let the creator of the Casting the Runes game speak for himself? Well, my name is Paul St. John McIntosh. I'm a writer, um, journalist and gamer. Um, I basically write mostly in the weird fiction, science fiction, fantasy and horror area. And that tends to be the kind of area that I like to play in gaming as well. Kicked off my gaming career in the very, very first generation, you know, got my first edition copies of Dungeons and Dragons, RuneQuest, etc. way, way back in the day. Then, unfortunately, it went through a long, long hiatus. Yeah. And I only got back into gaming in about the, maybe the past four or five years now, perhaps even a shorter time period than that. But basically what pulled me in was... I started going over some of the materials and some of the gaming-related fiction around, and I realized that, holy, the quality of the writing and the thought in here is incredible. Yeah. You know, this is really good stuff, really worth getting into. So that was got what basically got me back to the gaming table, and it's been pretty much nonstop ever since. Fantastic. I, I remember the, the red book of basic Dungeons and Dragons that I came in on and then sort of like mainly advanced Dungeons and Dragons first edition that I don't think is yep. even a, around mm. now yeah. so so tell me you created you wrote casting runes so what what's what's the book all about what's the game all about well, essentially, it's an effort to do a full-on 360-degree horror investigative game, which is not about Cthulhu yes. and is not touched by the Lovecraft mythos at all. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I've got any issue or beef with Call of Cthulhu, Delta Green, etc. I love all those. I play them enthusiastically to the hilt. It's just, I thought, here's, first of all, a real gap in the market, mm. you know, where the more sort of traditional horror, traditional mythology, etc., isn't being given its full due because Thulu and Lovecraftian horror dominates the market so much. Very much so. Yeah, and secondly, because... Um, I really, you know, I'm really fond of the works of M.R. James and that whole that whole period and tradition of ghost stories, occult fiction, etc., folklore, you know, the 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 re, the renaissance of folk horror. All of this was being a bit passed by by the Lovecraftian fiction, the Lovecraftian role-playing area. Yeah. And you know, so basically, one too many times seeing some mythological deity or ancient British folklore recast as yet another avatar <laughs> of Nihilathotep, I just thought, okay, enough. Let's do this on its own merits. Yeah. And at the time, I was reading through the, you know, the sort of more narrativist generation of systems, came across Gumshoe in yeah. the SRD, thought, hold on, A, this gaming system is already available. B, it's a really good fit for this. Mm. And, you know, they, they just it just seemed such a natural fit that all I thought I needed to do was just sit down and write it out. And that's exactly what I did. Fantastic. And 
yeah it's the i think i'm writing saying that it's based on there's the novels of mr james is that right yeah yeah the short story the ghost stories of mr james but also who you know is supposed always credited as being the classic ghost story writer in the pure sense of ghost stories yeah you know not not weirdish not sort of pseudo occult madame blavatsky ish but pure traditional classic ghost stories and i thought that as i say wasn't being quite fairly represented enough and was just massive fun for gaming and so i went ahead and did stuff mostly based around his stories and those of um his contemporaries algernon blackwood um william hope hodgson arthur macken E.F. Benson, who are regarded as, you know, the classic ghost story, cult fiction generation, who all, interestingly enough, were writing at more or less the same time, which gave an, you know, an immediate choice of setting. Yeah. You know, do it in the do it in the Edwardian period when all these guys are writing, which yeah. also happened to be a little bit neglected by the Lovecraftian RPG community in favour of either the 1920s and 30s or the the, the full-on you know Sherlock Holmes Victorian period yeah. the 1890s and earlier you know the classic like gaslight setting exactly and the this Edwardian setting for the MR James stories neatly slotted in between the two yeah so that was more like you know like I say it all it almost just fell together by itself Fantastic. And I must admit, when once I got my copy or while I was waiting for my copy to arrive, I actually read some um, M.R. James ghost stories. Mm. And, and they, they are really fantastic. I, I really yeah. enjoyed them. And I totally agree with you. I ran a Call of Cthulhu campaign in Gaslight, Victorian um, times. But yeah, the, the Edwardian times has not really been touched on by no, any system that much. I'm aware of. Yeah, I think there was something called Raiders of Relier, which tried to do Lovecraftian <laughs> stuff for the Edwardian period. But, um, you know, that that's obviously with a different... And it was set in America as well, whereas M.R. James is classically based in either Britain or Europe. Yeah. And one of the real gems of working with this kind of material is... There is so much inspiration out there. Basically, yeah. you know, there's so many ghost hunters roaming around the countryside. There's so many sort of gla- classic British folk tales and legends. Basically, so. you just click on a random place on the map, look up its Wikipedia entry, and almost immediately anywhere in the British Isles, you'll find a legend or a ghost story that could be put into this game. Yeah. So it's astonishing how rich the available material out there for it is. I, I feel really honoured that I'm from the UK and I'm in that richness. You know, yeah. it's, it's literally I mean, on my on my doorstep. Can, I mean, there's absolutely nothing to, to stop you doing this for the for any other country. In fact, I know there's actually been quite a bit of interest from France, interestingly enough. Mm. But you could certainly do it in the United States. You know, plenty of gothic gothic ghost story meets that you could exploit in new england and so on even without touching the lovecraftian stuff yeah very very much so and i really like that element of the of the rule system in the sense that it was based on 
ghost stories and folklore yeah. and that that era of things and that theme rather than some huge epic Cthulhu mythos. You know, I, I, I really like that. So say, for example, I was creating a character in casting rules what what role does my would my character take on what what do they chiefly do well almost you almost have to make a physical wrench to get it out of the classic mr james mold because he established such a strong prototype for his investigators which were almost always scholarly types there's a lot of academics involved um a lot often sort of Edwardian gentlemen of private means. I mean, again, there's no reason why they couldn't be gentlewomen. It's just that M.R. James being a cloistered Don of his time was very much embedded in the prejudices of his time. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it would be a cultivated, a cultivated, educated individual by and large, where a lot of the emphasis is on problem solving, tracing down clues, you know, arcane, esoteric, archaeological, historical or mythological lore, all of this stuff which has to be researched and teased out before you can address whatever the problem, you know, the... the, um, the spirit, the um, supernatural problem is yeah. that you've got to solve, which by and large, incidentally, doesn't get done by violence. I mean, I think there's going to be even less emphasis on revolvers and dynamite than in the Call of Cthulhu. Actually, knowing the typical Call of Cthulhu games, I play a lot less emphasis. Yeah. If it moves, blow it up. Classic, yeah. classic Call of Cthulhu remedy. And I, I really like that aspect mm-hmm. of legwork and investigation mm-hmm. and get, getting to that end point to solve a mystery or yeah. reveal what's behind the what's been happening in in the game or in the yeah. the location are, are there sort of like um ghosts in there will will the players come up against ghosts and spirits oh, definitely i mean the classic one is that they you know they they're not the story behind a haunting yeah i mean for instance the there's two um, scenarios in the book. One of them is directly, almost beat by beat, based by, based on a haunted house story by a classic Edwardian ghost story author. Mm. And however, it's by no means only ghosts. There can be, you know, elemental and occult spirits of all sorts of much weirder kinds. There's quite a few monsters, interestingly enough. Nice. M.R. James, despite his um, reputation for being a great ghost story writer, actually managed to create some peculiarly horrible creatures and monsters as well. I mean, there's a wonderful one, for instance, where, you know, a tentacled thing with with them tentacles like a devilfish that runs around sucking people's faces off (laughs) you know so you know there's there's no need to dip into the kit to the malleus monstrorum for some really great in monster inspiration there as well if that's where you want to go but by and large not so many cultists though there will be the occasional you know evil sorcerer yeah and um a lot in some ways a lot more human and historical traditional stories as well Fantastic. you know the sort of 
mind-blowing cosmic weird horror stuff that blood that uh, drives you mad is not quite so much as a, of a staple but the off equally sinister stories of you know damnation penance revenge comeuppance all of that kind of stuff is all baked in there I mean I, I love those words I just love yeah well I, you know there's just Lovecraftian horror does also sort of somewhat lock you into a certain set of story templates as well. Yeah. And by going back to the more traditional folk tales, horrific legends, etc., you can often, you know, you, you get access to a different repertoire of, sto- of potential stories and scenarios, basically. It's, so is casting rules... Rune, sorry, is it a rule system in itself? Would the players have to know about any other rules before, rule systems really. before the player? I mean, it's got gumshoe as a self-contained yeah. system in there using the, I think it's the second edition gumshoe SRD with a few tweaks. So if they, and partly I chose that system because it's relatively simple and easy to get your head around, yeah. especially for non-gamers you know, who don't necessarily have even a percentile dice. Yeah. And the, I mean, honestly, I suspect that the story could be done even with an even simpler system, you know, something like the the, the Cthulhu hack or the, you know, Cthulhu dark, one yeah. of the really simple ones you could possibly adapt it to. You certainly could adapt it to Mithras. And in fact, I've had the odd discussion here uh, now and again about doing just that because in a sense, the setting is pretty. The, the the setting is pretty much system agnostic. Yeah, you know, as long as your system has got reasonable mechanics for investigation, you can adapt it to other systems quite well. Yeah. That said, um, you know, Gumshoe does have a um, very strong focus on investigation, so that made yeah. it a very good choice. And and I really like that. I like it that. I like systems where the rules are simpler, simple enough not to detract from the actual gameplay. You know, I, I just feel yeah. that sometimes if the rules too complicated, it detracts from everything. Yeah, and I mean, you know, unfortunately, you always feel that you could have made it even simpler and clearer for people. But that said, I think it's definitely simple enough to support really you know really fun game really fun gaming that is actually really focused on the subject yeah and what about i mean if i'm uh, an investigator a player character that's going out and rooting out these evil spirits is am i going to get mad is there like a, a sanity no there isn't i mean Again, partly because of the decision not to focus so much on the um, Call of Cthulhu style play, but also yeah. because James just didn't ident- um, emphasize people going mad so much. Okay. I mean, there is the established um, gumshoe stability system, which does to a large extent function by, you know, with a similar, a similar um um, effect as the as um, sanity in Call of Cthulhu. I mean, it registers mental shock right. and you know mental destabilization, but to a milder extent, with no great long list of phobias, etc., or you know, mad or spells of madness and so on. The rules, however, you know, do they're quite serious enough in terms of what can happen to you if you 
fail your test when confronted with some horrific banshee. And also, um, I mean, it was good enough for the other, um, some of the other um, gumshoe games, horror-focused games like um, the Esoterrorists and Fear itself, which are regarded as pretty genuinely spooky horror RPGs. So I figured if it was good enough for that, go with it and there's no need to put sanity just as a third system just because other games you know so so have sanity in them because of the of call of cooling yeah you know if it's good good enough stick with it yeah Yeah. and so there's you know one thing i do like about that as well is it encourages people not to be there just for the glorious experience of going gaga yeah, <laughs> because you know that's that's a common thing with Call of Cthulhu as well. It's yay, yeah. let's go mad. Yeah, but in in um, casting the runes and using that as this version of the Gumshoe system, you know, you're there to if you're scared, you're scared. Yeah, it's not there as a fun experience. It's something that's really gonna trip you up, get in your face, and hopefully give a good mechanical equivalent of actually being scared out of your wits. Yeah. So it's Very nice. good enough and fit for purpose, I think. Where, where did the inspiration from the t- for the title come from, Casting the Runes? Oh, it's um, that needed a little thought, but it's one of those where, thanks to James being out of copyright, <laughs> it means that his most iconic titles are up for use as well. <laughs> and casting the runes is possibly just about his single most famous story. It's right. the one that inspired the Jack Turner film, yes. um, Night of the Demon, you know, so that was actually, almost, again, almost beat for beat, told the story in the 1950s. But because James is such a good, solid ghost story writer, the story fitted perfectly into a 1950s milieu as well. Yeah. And it's, you know, so Casting the Runes was there as a title, potentially. And I just thought, hold it. Why not? Go with it. I mean, it's a little bit impudent, maybe, but hey, yeah. it works in the end. I, I think it's a fantastic I mean, title. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like calling Cthulhu, calling Call of Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu. What was Ro- uh, Lovecraft's most famous story? The Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> didn't need to look far to go get a precedent for that. So, so that would be a, a good book if people are looking to read one from M.L. Yeah. James. That would be a good starting point for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, James's stuff is widely available. There's um, loads of collected editions. It's pretty much all available act on, um, for you know free public domain access online. So yeah. anyone who hasn't read the stories already, and they really should because they're great, can access them very easily. Yeah. And I actually listened to them um, on audio from Audible. Oh, I yeah. actually downloaded them from <laughs> That is a great pleasure because given the period and their classic status, they've attracted some of the great readers and great actors. I mean, for instance, Sir Michael Horden produced some wonderfully atmospheric readings, which are perfect for the style of the period and the kind of character that James writes about. Yeah, and there's even um, his radio collection 
available uh, as well. Uh, so it's it's really interesting. Um, what one of the when I was flipping through the book, and I must say they were. I'll talk a little bit about the the book later on and the sheer wonderful quality it has. But I noticed there was I noticed there was spells in there. Tell yeah. me about the spells. How did they fit well, into the game? Again, it's the spells. There's a sort of disclaimer at the beginning of the magic section, which says um, these are mostly here to give the players and the game master an idea of what kind of opposition they're likely to run into, yeah. rather than to be slinging too many spells around it around themselves, because. I just felt that having the players metamorphose into sort of super powerful occult, you know, ghost slayers seemed just a little bit wrong for the flavor of the yeah. game. I mean, again, you don't want to overpower your characters if you are writing a horror game. Yeah. You know, they want to, you you want them to feel helpless and vulnerable. And if they can gear up with an with a, an arsenal of super effective spells, that's obviously not doing the job. Yeah. And also, James was very specific about the kind of spells that he that he saw functioning in magic, and they are not things like you know fireballs or death spells. Yeah. It's slow rituals, summonings, conjurations, that kind of thing. Just one or two very simple defensive spells to keep the keep the ghoulies at bay for just that little bit longer. Yeah. And that's or typically that is about all the resources in the way of magic that I would want a player character to have. Yeah. Because Tell there are I mean the likes of, you know, the contemporary occultists of that period, the sort of Madame Blavatsky, Alistair Crowley, they would quite happily write about, you know, magicians casting death spells, but that's just not the appropriate atmosphere for for James. Yeah. Do, do you think um, players and GMs would need to know a lot about Edwardian um, England or Edwardian um, anywhere to actually run a successful gaming session not about it? really. I mean, hopefully there's enough, you know, an, ep an episode of Downton Abbey would probably see that. <laughs> um, you know, the I've been complimented, which I'm very happy about, more than once on the depth and quality of the writing in the book about the Edwardian period. It's very so good. I reckon with, yeah. yeah, I reckon with that, just about with that, they're more or less okay anyway. And also with Wikipedia available these days, who needs to spend too much time, you know, pouring over in-depth research in the library before kicking off with your role play? Yeah. Normally you can just riff off what you what a uh, sort of five-minute read of a Wikipedia article, and that will be enough to underwrite a game. Yeah, and I often allow my players to search for things like you know if they're going to a certain town or a village or mm -hmm. anything like actually to search in real life you know onto wikipedia yeah. and sort of like so their character gains that knowledge um through themselves yeah. you know and that, that's brilliant yeah. so what sort of gm or player is this is casting runes written for what what sort of player would be attracted to it do you think well, I'd like to say everybody. Yes. <laughs> However, definite. I mean, it's not necessarily the kind of game that you want. It's that you want for 
people for game players and games masters who want non-stop action you know of course there definitely is a role for it there and indeed you can do a lot of games and a lot of scenarios where there's car all the car chases and gunfights that you want in fact we did this fantastic um, scenario which unfortunately isn't in the book on um set around that you know that island that island up in scotland that had that mysterious disappearance of the lighthouse oh yes yeah and trying to remember what it was i can't remember the exact name but in that we basically had the occult investigators alone on the island with the lighthouse crew defending it against an army of you know underground of goblins welling up from underground with brilliant with you know sounding rockets so you basically had this sort of you know gunplay artillery duel with rockets <laughs> everything that you could wish for going on um, so you don't know you don't need to do the quiet um, low-key investigative stuff but there is plenty of low-key uh, of opportunity to do the low-key investigative stuff yeah. without necessarily having to pick up a gun once and it's a really good opportunity to go dive deep into the role playing and the atmosphere and the flavor and the characters. So role players who really like chewing that, you know, chewing the furniture when it comes to doing their role playing, are going to love it. Yeah. And, you know, those who want to establish really rich, deep characters, how enjoy a really rich, deep setting and be sort of challenged and mystified and entertained rather than, always sitting on the the edge of their seat waiting to see if the next dice is going to score a critical shit a critical hit against the kobold yeah not that there's anything wrong with that but there's no. plenty of other ways to play <laughs> exactly yeah. so it, I, I, I'm very lucky because I've got my copies <laughs> of this um, yeah so if um, if people are interested in buying it, is it on sale anywhere? Where can they get yeah, it from? It is. You can you can get it on Drive Through RPG, just like you know, pre- pretty much anything anywhere in the gaming world. And it's also available directly from the Design Mechanism too. Probably available through the other through other sort of you know RPG access channels and even on Amazon as well. Oh, fantastic! Um, in the as far as I'm aware, certainly the PDF. Um, hardback version still available to my knowledge. Um, print on demand, I think, is available via Drive Through RPG. So you've basically got all of the options except for the limited edition backers specials, which, <laughs> alas, except for one or two people like my interviewer and myself, are no longer in and are no longer available because it was limited edition. But they are great. And I, I will put a picture of my wonderful copy in the show notes, yeah. I think. Because and I, I'm a very digital person, but I must say I'm so pleased that I've got the the real books for this system. Mm-hmm. I the the quality, the art, the layout, the production of these books are is absolutely fantastic. I absolutely love flicking through them and reading they it feels like a real um almost like a gothic horror book when when i'm flipping through it in in looking at skills and things like that yeah i know uh, 
I know not only exactly what you mean, I also know exactly why. Um, because the designer did a wonderful job. She sought, she sought out exactly the right kind of um, typeface, the right kind of um, visual presentation that would actually almost duplicate a period M.R. James book. Right. With just that little bit extra, you know, slightly sinister, slightly grimoire-ish, slightly folksy design flair to give that little bit of extra magical flavour. So it it actually suited the period and the material so well. And you know, just top that with a off with a few contributions and from some really first class illustrators, and you're rolling. Yeah, and and it really is the the, the feel of it and everything. And I, and I think the the copy or one of the copies I've got, the green one, I think that's now limited edition. I'm sure of it. It is unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, let's say that it would be great to see a reprint of that because it's so damn good. It, On the it, other hand, yeah. I have to say that I really do love the cover of the pictorial cover version. Yes. Yeah. Just the one that still is available. Because that yeah. Yeah, that design, that man haunted mansion with the little devil in front, that really sums it up. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's really flavorful. Love that picture. I think and who who was the artist and layout? Well, the art, I mean, the artist is Sophia is now head of, um, you know, she's basically um, the design mechanism's head designer and well-deserved. Um, the art, I can't, honestly can't remember who the cover artist is, right. you know, the actual person who did, painted it. But we had a, I had a lot of really great contemporary contrib- contributions for that volume that actually looked really good in the black and white printing. And... James actually had some really first-class illustrators of his work. There was in particular one um, one youthful friend who died um, while James was still alive, but did manage to do some great illustrations for the fir- about the first and second volumes of the stories. Really? And so you've got some classic Edwardian period, you know, ghost or horror, horror pictures there as well which are actually contemporary with the stories themselves. Excellent. It, it really is. Uh, it's a fantastic system. I love it. I, I really do. And But also the production of the books is amazing. I, I do just like, enjoy the sat with them, flicking through the pages, you know, yeah. and, and reading up. So what would be your final selling point? I, I really do think that if somebody's thinking, oh, I don't want this now, they, they've missed out, you know, because hopefully no, we... No, that's the feeling, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's from this discussion, I it's one of these... I very, very rarely get creators who come on after it's been published. So I sort of like had um, Mythic Britain or Babylonian... Um, the rule books for that, the settings, I talked to the authors or the creators before the book came out. So it's really nice to have it this time. Yeah, well, for one, I can tell you one reason for that. It's just because the thing was just done so quickly. You know, it came out so damn fast. I, you know, hardly need, you know, hardly had time to pause to breath while I was writing it. (laughs) Brilliant. it, It was just amazingly, you know, could get it done really fast. 
luckily didn't remind, need too much editing in their readjustment and um, it was just ready to go bingo yeah. so so what would be your final selling point if somebody is listening to the podcast thinking mm, should i buy this or shouldn't i what what would be your final plug for it i would think for if you want a really solid game or simply really juicy inspiration for classic ghost story classic legend and folklore folk horror style gaming this is the one if you want to explore and touch back in with the great tradition of ghosts of ghostly fiction and horror that's the you know that um is basically what everybody grew up with until lovecraft came along and is still so rich and so deep and so diverse and so full of fascinating stories, great creatures and nemesises and demons, terrific ideas for settings and scenarios. It's all in there. Fantastic. I, I would highly recommend it. Thank you so much for coming on Mithras Matters and sharing this. Not at all. Um, it's been a pleasure. No, great to talk. I hope that has whetted your appetite for the game. I am certainly looking forward to either watching, playing or GMing a campaign in the future. Remember, you can buy Casting the Runes from all the usual places that stock the design mechanism items. Remember, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, then why not drop me an email or message and let me know what you would like to cover. I'm always looking for reviews or interviews with people. So if you're interested, then email me at inwills at gmail.com or send me a message on the various forums I frequent. And that's it. Another episode of Mithras Matters Completed. Don't forget you can check out all my content by following my YouTube channel or the campaign areas on World Anvil. I really appreciate your support and do check out the Tapper Talk forums. There are some great people there sharing their ideas within the discussions. So until next time, have a great month of gaming and I will chat to you all again in August. Until then, I hope all your opposed roles succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Thanks for listening, everyone. See ya. Bye. Content of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license, so please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you. <laughs>